121. Psalm 121. We mentioned last week when we looked at Psalm 120, we're in a grouping of uh, psalms. They're called the Psalms of Ascents or uh, Songs of uh, Degrees. Uh, but the degrees there is just a sense, steps. It's a series of psalms that were sung as songs, S-O-N-G-S, as they would travel up to uh, Jerusalem to the festivals, um, the temple festivals that happen there three times a year. Uh, so these would have been very familiar psalms. They would have been psalms that um, most everyone had memorized and uh, psalms that were uh, to be sung together as they traveled. They were pilgrim songs. We said last week, and all of these are pilgrim songs, including the one we're looking at tonight. Also briefly mention that um, it's Psalm 120 through Psalm 134, and really um, they're grouped in threes, five groups of threes in the sense of the progression. So really Psalm 120, 121, 122 have a logical progression. Psalm 120 that we saw last week is a psalm, uh, it's almost a lament psalm. It's a psalm talking about the fact or highlighting the fact that we live in a world that's full of distress, full of lies and liars, a world that is not our home, <coughs> excuse me, and a world that is at war with God and God's people. Well, when we get to Psalm 121, the question is, where does my help come from in a world like this? And the answer is, it comes from God. So it's a psalm of faith. It's a psalm that is meant to instill confidence and strengthen our faith as we pilgrim our way through uh, a world that is described in Psalm 120. And then we get to Psalm 122, and it's almost as if it's an arrival psalm. I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. It's a celebration that the... Uh, uh, that the, uh, the the point that was being traveled toward had been reached. Uh, so we're not going to talk about 122 tonight, but uh, it might be helpful or at least an interesting fact to you that Psalm 120 through 134 is really made up of uh, five triads or five groups of three as far as the logical flow goes with these psalms. So Psalm 121, let me read it. And, uh, and then we'll make our comments. I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills. From whence cometh my help? My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. The sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. So... Um, uh, again, it's a psalm that is pointing us to, it's a psalm of, of faith that's pointing us to where our help is, where our hope is, um, 
in this world. If you want to think about it like this, Psalm 121 really presses us to consider the question, where do I find security? Where am I looking to find security? To find um, peace, to find help, to find hope. Um, it starts out, it's really, I mean, you could break it up in a few ways. I've, I've chosen to break it up tonight in really just two chunks. The first one is verses one through two, a chosen refuge. And then the last one is uh, verses three through eight, a faithful keeper, or we could say a faithful guardian. So verses one through two, I will lift up my eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. Now, it's not, this is not altogether clear in, um, in the, in the King James, but verse one is not a, uh, it's not a, a, a statement. It's a, it's a question. So he's not saying I'm looking up, I'm lifting my eyes up to the hills because that's where my help's coming from. It's um, I will lift my eyes up to the hills. And then the question is, from where will my help come? Um, it's not my help will come to me from the hills. Uh, as the travelers would travel up to Jerusalem, their sights would be set that way. Um, they would see the mountains. They would see the hills. And as their eyes were lifted up toward the hills, the question the psalmist is asking is, from where, from whence, from where will my help come? And then he answers it. My help comes from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. So point number one, we have a, a chosen refuge here. Um, Again, we could keep the, the, the pilgrim theme throughout, but as strangers and pilgrims in a hostile world, brothers and sisters, we do have to choose where we will seek refuge. We do have to choose where we're going to place our hopes. One of the greatest struggles in the Christian walk is the struggle to create and look to false refuge, refuges, plural, for help and hope. We're, we're tempted to do this all the time. Um, psalm 46.1 says, this is a familiar psalm for you, um, God is a refuge, a present help in time of need. Now, a refuge is just a safe place. It's a tower that you run to for protection. Um Psalm 46 goes on with the, the, the parallel statement, a present help in time of need. And really what's being communicated there is that when I am in need, what I'm going to do is run to the Lord because he's a refuge. He will help me. That's where my help comes from. But Jeremiah 17, it's the, the, the chapter that we're familiar with as it relates to the heart being deceitful and, and, and who can, who can know it. But really, it's a, it, it's a, it's a chapter that is highlighting 
this fact that we choose where we will run. We choose who and what we will trust. Um, and this is where the heart can be so deceptive. So if you look in Jeremiah 17, there's a curse and a blessing and then a reality. Okay, A curse, a blessing, and a reality that we all have to deal with. So we start in verse 5 of Jeremiah chapter 17. Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man and maketh flesh his arm or his strength and whose heart departeth from the Lord. For he shall be like the heath in the desert, a shrub, and shall not see when good comes, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness in a salt land and not inhabited. So there's the curse. The curse is the man who trusts in the arm or the strength of man. He finds his refuge there. But then there's a blessing in verse 7. By contrast, blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord or whose hope the Lord is. For he shall be as a tree planted by the waters and that spreadeth out her roots by the river and shall not see when heat cometh, but her leaves shall be green and shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. Okay, so there's a curse. Cursed is the man who trusts in the arm of man, or we could also say takes refuge in man's resources. Blessed is the man who trusts or takes refuge in the Lord and his resources. And then here's the reality, verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? What does that mean? That means if we're not careful, we can think we're taking God-honoring steps, but the reality is we're leaning on the arm of flesh. Or Proverbs 3 would say it this way, we are leaning to our own understanding. The heart is deceitful in the sense that we are we can constantly make or, or create, try to use things to be a safe place, a tower, a, a, a help in time of need that we're that were never intended to be that, never intended to be a source of security. I mean, think about all the ways we manufacture these false refuges in our life and run to them. Jeremiah, again, Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, we've forsaken uh, the living God and instead we've gone to wells that will not hold water. Imagery is, is a little different, but, but it's the same thing looking to something or someone for our security that was never meant to be that. So we think about things like health. Okay, We feel safe. We feel secure. We feel stable. Um, that's not, health is not a bad thing. But brothers and sisters, if we make our health a refuge, when it begins to fail... Where will we turn? Money. Nothing wrong with money. But if money is what gives us our sense of security, when it starts to dry up, so does our faith. When it's not what we wanted it to be, our security is 
knocked off kilter, right? Our job. We can find sense of identity there. Uh, relationships. Okay? Our security can be in the relationships that we have, in a, in a spouse, in children. And again, it's not wrong for these to be priorities in your life, but they cannot be, they cannot be a refuge in your life. Your spouse cannot be a refuge. Your children cannot be a refuge. Status, success. Here, here's one that, that really spreads out and has all kinds of tentacles. Control. Right? I'm only comfortable. I only feel secure when I have control. When the Lord blesses me to use the people in my life like pawns on a chessboard that I get to set up. And I get to decide what goes where. Um, that's a pretty common one, by the way. If you don't know what I'm talking about, it's just because you're blind to that area of your life. Control. Well, the psalmist says, where, where does my help come from? Where am I, where am I looking for help and, and hope? And his answer is, the Lord. That's who. The truth is, your health will fade eventually. Money is never a sure thing. Your relationships will shift, change, and dissolve. Uh, your success is, and your status are so fickle, and your control is just an illusion. But God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If your hope is there, if your security is there, then in a world full of distress, a world full of lies, a world that's not your home, and a world that is at war with God and God's people, then you found a good refuge in the Lord. So number one, it's a chosen Refuge out of Psalm 121. I look to the hills. Where will my help or where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. Now, that last part, the Lord, which made heaven and earth. Isn't it ridiculous that we would think about running to something or someone besides him? We're talking about the sovereign God of the universe. The one who does control all those things that we wish we could but can. The one who can do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. We've said this before, but one of the, uh, one of the reasons for, for a lot of inward turmoil, a lot of disappointments and really a lot of stress in the Christian life is um, that we struggle putting our hopes in areas that God has not guaranteed. We, we struggle placing our hopes in things that God has never guaranteed. And your hopes don't belong there. Hope is not a wish. It's not a... It would be nice if this would work out. We, you know that already. 
we talk about hope, we're talking about a strong expectation or a confident expectation. And the question has to be, what is that expectation built on? And we say, the only thing your expectation should be built on in this sense is the authoritative word of God. So, a chosen refuge. And then secondly, look at verses 3 through 8. You will notice if you're, um, if you're going through that section, particularly, I'm not sure about, um, some of the other translations. It is the same word in Greek, but it's, it's, tra- it's translated the same way throughout until you get to verse eight in the KJV. And that is, the Lord will keep. The Lord will keep. The Lord will keep. You get down to verse eight and it says, the Lord shall preserve. Same word as keep. Um, and and this word is is a word that means that he will guard, he will protect, he will he will be a hedge, a protective hedge around his people. So he's a faithful keeper, he's a faithful guardian, you could say. And so let's uh, let's read that section. It says, "He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee, the one who guards you." will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. The sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. So a faithful keeper, a faithful keeper, one who will keep you, guard you, preserve you. The psalmist says, this is the way he ends it, from today until forever. Okay, So he's going to spend this section in a poetic way talking about God's faithfulness to be a refuge for his people. So the first point categorically that the psalmist is going to hit is in verses 3 and 4, is that God who is our help, God who is our refuge, is always attentive and alert. Okay, He's always attentive. He's always alert. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. And then here's really the emphasis. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. What does that mean? That means that he's attentive to his people. He's alert to what's going on in your life. He's the kind of refuge that you run to and you don't have to wonder, does he know what's going on? Will he be able to hold up the weight of this difficulty, this trial, this need that I bring to him? No, he's the kind of refuge that by the time you get to him, he already knows what it is you need and he's waiting to give it to you. Now, that's a pretty big claim. And so as we make our way through here, we have to we have to ask ourselves, how do we make sense out of this as far as comparing it to the life we live? And we will do that. So think about it from a Psalm 8. Verse four. We're still, we're just thinking about him being attentive and alert. Psalm 8, verse 4. 
when the psalmist asked, What is man that thou art mindful of him? And the son of man that thou visitest him? Now, the question is, what, what is man, Lord? That's the, I mean, he's asking the question to the Lord. What is man that you think about him? He's on your mind. It's not a passing thought. The, the mindful means, well, you know the difference. You know the difference in noticing something, having a passing thought about something, and then intentionally being mindful about something. Okay, This is something that is in the forefront of your mind. This is something you're giving special attention to. The psalmist is asking, what is man, Lord, that you're always thinking about him? Now the next question is, the son of man that thou visitest him. The word visit there means to be attentive to, to be committed to, to be overseeing and caring for. And so the faithful keeper of Israel from Psalm 131 is a faithful keeper who doesn't sleep, who doesn't slumber. He's always attentive. He's always alert. He's thinking about his people and he's always attentive to, committed to, and overseeing his people throughout the days of their life. How long is he going to preserve? How long is he going to keep? From today until forever. Or Psalm 34 would, would illustrate this as well. You have these, these phrases that show up in the Psalms that, um, that are repeated and the, the, uh, uh, the meaning is, is rich, even though if we're not careful, we'll just fly through the phrase. Psalm 34, Verse 15, this is just another way of saying Psalm 8, 4. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and His ears are open to their cry. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and His ears are open unto their cry. What's he saying? He's saying God is attentive and alert to His people. He, he knows what's going on. Uh, he's not, uh, he's not so busy multitasking that something somehow escapes his notice. Uh, your struggles aren't hidden. He's not waiting for you to inform him about what you need. He knows. I'm not going to turn here, but Job 36 verse 7 says it this way. He withdraweth not his eyes from the righteous. So the Psalm 34 says it in the positive. His eyes are on the righteous. Um, Job 36 says it in the negative. He will not remove his eyes from the righteous. Isn't that something? He's attentive. He's alert. He's watching and caring for his people. He's a refuge. Present help. In time of need. Back in Psalm 121, there's, there's three categories in this last section. The first one we said, he's alert, he's attentive. The second one out of verses 5 and 6 is, uh, we've mentioned this already, just mentioned it. He is a present help in our time of need. You don't have to take a number and wait. There's no waiting room 
whenever it comes to you receiving the help you need from God's blessings or from God's hand. So verses 5 and 6, the Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. The sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. Now, this is one of those times and subjects where it's, uh, it's worth pointing out the Psalms are poetry, right? Um, so he's, he's expressing a reality in figurative, poetic type language. He is, he is a keeper or a protector or a guardian. And the Lord is the shade upon your, on your right hand. Well, shade is, is just a form of protection, right? From the sun. The right hand is the, is a, a, a figurative phrase used in scripture to just denote uh, the, the the strength of an individual. It's it's used of God uh, to denote His strength. So the Lord is going to protect you. He's going to He's going to cover you. Uh, the sun will not smite you by day. Well, this would have been a a real threat. I mean, to be a live in a nomadic type way. The desert was real, right? The, the, the heat was real, nor the moon by night. So while it was a real threat, still the fact that the sun will not smite you by day or the moon by night, it's, it's, it's almost a poetical way of saying night and day, the Lord is going to be protecting you. The Lord is going to be watching you. He's going to be giving you what you need. Now, here's the question. What kind of protection, what kind of scenarios uh, are you going to find yourself in day and night? Well, James tells us you better be careful about saying what you're going to do because you have no idea what tomorrow brings. Right? The, the reality is we don't know. We have no idea. But think about, think about this. Look in Hebrews chapter 2 as it relates to this kind of protection. Now, this would be a good time to uh, at least give a little bit of glimpse into what this psalm is actually talking about. If we read Psalm 121 and we think that what is being communicated here is that God is going to make sure that His people never have a sunburn on their right hand, and that when they're in the desert, they will never experience a sunburn or heat exhaustion because God's with them. They don't need water. You know, that part's over. They could just... That, that's not what the psalm is talking about. The psalm is talking about the Lord's protection on His people day and night as an attentive guardian and we'll get, we'll get, as when we get to the next section, we'll get this, but I'll just give you a glimpse of it here. In, in Hebrews chapter two, verse 16, as it talks about 
Christ being our present help in our time of need. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 16, he's making an argument about Christ not taking on the nature of angels, but he took upon him the seed of Abraham. Okay, so humanity. Verse 17, wherefore, in all things it behooved him, or in all things it was necessary for him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the saints, I'm sorry, for the sins of the people, for in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. That is, he is able to bring the right help at the right time. Okay, this is, this is what's being said here. He didn't take upon himself the form of an angel. He identified with his people, the seed of his people, Abraham. And so in all things, in order for him to fulfill the task that he was given, it was necessary that he be made like unto his brethren for a couple of reasons, that he might be merciful and faithful and that he might be able to make reconciliation. And then verse 18 really kind of distills that down a little bit and says, for in that he himself has suffered being tempted. What does that mean? That means Jesus understands the experience of temptation. He understands the difficulties in a fallen world. He understands firsthand what his people are bearing as we come to him for help. And so what he's saying here is he suffered being tempted. And because of that, he is able. Again, the word there is a rich word to give just the right help at just the right time to those who are tempted. Well, that, that puts a little bit of a different light on a refuge who's a present help in time of need, doesn't it? He knows exactly what to do. He knows exactly when and how to do it. Hebrews 4 would give us that same uh, picture when it says, let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Why would we come boldly? Because He's moved with the feelings of our infirmities. He's compassionate toward us. He knows what it's like and He knows what we're bearing as we come running to Him. So he's a present help. Now, let me ask you this. I'm not necessarily saying you shouldn't pray for grace in these kinds of situations. But as it relates to the text, um, have, you, have you ever had a sunburn and run to the throne of grace and said, Lord, take it away now? Probably not. You may ask for grace to bear it. Have you ever stubbed your toe and said, Lord, what happened? You said in Psalm 121, you would, you would keep us from that sort of a thing. No, you've never done that. So, so what's he talking about? What kind of help do pilgrims need on their ascent up to Jerusalem or the new Jerusalem as it were? Well, the third point that we're going to look at in Psalm 121 
uh, gets us there. In verses 7 and 8, it says, The Lord shall preserve, we could say keep, it's the same word. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. Well, what I'd like to to highlight in verse 7 is that the promise is that the Lord will keep your going out and coming in. I'm sorry, I'm looking at verse 8. That the Lord will keep you from evil and He will keep or guard your soul. Okay, think about this from uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. It's a, it's a parallel, whether or not it's a direct uh, allusion to this or not, I don't know, but it is a parallel. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 25, um, when he says, For you were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Now here's the question that we have to ask. Does the shepherd and bishop of your soul promise to keep you from physical or emotional suffering? Well, if we consider that question in the immediate context of 1 Peter chapter 2, if we back up to verse 21, we get a clear answer. For even hereunto were you called. There's a calling. Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but he committed himself to him that judged righteously. When he was reviled, when he suffered, as it were, when he threatened, as it were, he looked to the hills and says, where does my help come from? And he said, my help comes from the Lord. He entrusted himself to him who judges rightly, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye are healed. For you are a sheep going astray, but are now returned to the shepherd and bishop of your soul. So the question might be asked, why would we need this example that the Lord left for us in the way that Christ responded to suffering if He were going to keep us from suffering? And the answer is, we wouldn't. Right? Suffering, physical suffering, is promised. We don't have to wonder about that. It's not only it's not only um, it's not only a given in general, but there are specifics where we see. Look in, for instance, in Luke chapter twenty-one. And, and the reason we're we're looking at this is because the the spiritual reality in Psalm. 121 is far richer and far better than this idea that the Lord is going to keep you from from physical or emotional type suffering. So Luke 21, verse 12, as Jesus is talking to His disciples, He says, but before all these, they shall lay their hands on you 
and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and into prisons, being brought before kings and rulers. Why? For my name's sake. Jesus says he's, he's, he's prophesying here and he says, I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you that when these events begin to come to pass, you're going to be persecuted or we could say you're going to suffer. And the reason you're going to do it is for my name's sake. Or you look at uh, verse 17, you shall be hated of all men. Why? For my name's sake. Or maybe we think about Acts chapter 9, verse 16, where Ananias is called to go kind of get the Apostle Paul headed in the right direction after his conversion. And this is what he says. You've got to go tell him all the things that he must suffer. Why? For my name's sake. That's why. So here's the question. All that being said, how do we make sense out of this? How is it that God guards his people? If he's not physically guarding us from these kinds of things, how do we understand this? Particularly whenever we get into the New Testament, how do we understand? How does God keep or protect his people? And 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5 gives us a direct answer to that. When it talks about in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His abundant mercy, has begotten us again unto a lively hope. And he goes on in the same group, he says in verse 5, who are kept, same, it's, it's a Greek word, but same meaning as the Hebrew word we've been looking at, that is guarded, protected. How? By the power of God through what? Faith. Unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. How is it that God protects, guards His people in a world full of distresses, lies, in a world that is at war with God and His people? Well, brothers and sisters, He does it through faith. That's how He does it. Or think about this same reality from 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. So now the question is, how does faith protect or guard our souls in the midst of a world full of distresses, lies, and that is at war with us. And the answer to that is that faith protects our souls as we strive to embrace, rest in, and live on the promises of God. As we look at the world through the lens of Scripture and the lens of God's promises, you see, the, the, this is just reality that, that as, we, as we look at what's in front of us, we're interpreting all the time. You get upset because of the way you interpret things. Okay? That is, you take observations, you take things that are in front of you, you make interpretations, and then your soul settles in on a state. For those of us who love to be in control and we see a situation and we interpret that as this is out of control and I can't, I can't get my arms around it. 
the state of your soul is directly linked to your interpretation of the situation. So how about this as far as looking at interpreting what's in front of us? And this is a this will be an easy one. I mean, not necessarily easy to apply, but easy for you to connect with, I think. How about this the next time we find ourselves in a situation that threatens to unsettle our soul? The Lord is my shepherd, and I have no unmet needs. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He's the one who restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. We get the same reality here as far as God being our shepherd. He's not protecting us from circumstances and suffering. He's walking with us through those things and guarding our hearts. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because He's with me. His rod and His staff are comforting me. We live in a world that's at war with God and at war with God's people. Well, how's this one? You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. And then really the best out of the whole thing, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Well, there's a lens to look at, to look at life through. Or maybe the lens of Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, as we're thinking about the trials that come upon us and what God is actually doing in the trial. Or maybe Romans 8, 31 through 39. And this is where we'll end. Romans 8, 31 through 39. The Lord is going to guard your... Soul. He's going to protect your soul. He's going to keep, preserve your soul in all your going out and all your coming in. Well, I would, I would say Romans 8, 31 through 39 is really just an expansion on that thought. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? You know, I really think that one reality, we could get a lot of mileage out of that one reality whenever trouble hits. If God is for me, who can be against me? Am I fixing to go through something difficult? Yes, but God is for me as I go through something difficult. Is the nation that we're living in spiraling downward very quickly? Yes, but God is for me as the nation that I live in is spiraling down very quickly. It's just to see the way we're interpreting what we're seeing, experiencing. Just that one. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? The Lord is my shepherd. I have need of nothing. If he would give me his son, which is the best of the best, how could he not freely give me every other thing I stand in need of? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It's God that justifies. Who is he that condemneth? 
It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Brothers and sisters, do you know that your name rolls off of Christ's lips as He's communicating with the Father and interceding for you and your time of need? The keeper of Israel does not sleep or slumber. Jesus Christ doesn't take a nap. And He is interceding for you. Not in some general way. As a specific purchased possession. So who's going to separate you? He asked in 35, from the love of Christ. Shall tribulation? No, because God's for me. And no, because if God would give me His Son, He's going to give me everything else. And no, because Jesus Christ is at the right hand of the Father making intercession for me. Tribulation is not going to do it. Distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is a New Testament clarification on this reality that the Lord will preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. Brothers and sisters, God is a refuge for His people. He is a present help in time of need. And in our pilgrimage on this earth, we need to be reminded of that. And we need to be encouraging one another as we seek our help and our refuge in Him. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we thank You that as we, as we look to You uh, as a refuge, You are big enough uh, to handle anything we bring to You. Um, Father, You know, You're attentive, You care uh, for Your people. You know us by name. You know our every need. You know what we need before we ever ask. And you delight in mercy. Father, we confess that it is so, we are so prone to run to other things to find our security and our peace and our hope. And so I pray that you would expose those areas in our hearts and in our lives and that you would bless us to continually turn back to You, seeking our, our, our help and hope from You. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.